Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, those words that we just sang about are so true. You are a good, good Father. And God, we thank you for the love that you showed by sending your son Jesus to come and die for our sins. And God, we thank you that when all else fails, that you're always there. When everyone else leaves, you remain. When everything else in our lives breaks down, (laughs) Daddy, Abba, Father, you're always there. We thank you so much for that. And Father God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us right now as we open up your word. Holy Spirit, would you lead us to an understanding and a wisdom of your word and the truth of your word from this great story of these three courageous men. But Holy Spirit, would you also lead us to a place of conviction and of challenge and of encouragement from your word. May we be a group of people who can stand courageous under the most difficult circumstances that we may face. God, may we rely on you for that. And God, may we stand when everything else around us falls. May we stand for you. Lead us right now. We thank you so much for all that you're doing in the life of this church and in our community. And we pray for more of it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, I'm Todd. I'm the lead pastor here. Really glad that you're here on this uh, beautiful fall day. You can tell it's fall out because you walk outside and it feels so much like fall, doesn't it? Yes. Hot, humid, and yeah, anyway, just like fall. We're uh, in the midst of fall, and we're in the midst of this series that we've entitled Lion Tamer. And if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 3, we're taking a look at the life of Daniel. And today, really taking a pause from his life specifically by looking at the life of his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the story that we're looking at takes place about 500 years after King David, who most of you, even if you studied history, not in church history, you'll understand that there was a great king by the name of David, and he was a Jewish king, a king over the nation of Israel. And about 500 years after David, about 500 years before Jesus came onto the scene, and so that's where we are in the history of Daniel and in the life of this great man and these great men that we're going to be taking a look at today. And so, so far we've really taken a look at how these men and this man became lion tamers, not physically, although we'll take a look next week at that story, the most dramatic part of the story from Daniel's life. But we're looking at the fact that they became lion tamers in terms of being men who stood up for God and the things of God in the face of great adversity, in the face of some of these great lions, men of great influence, and specifically today, looking once again at King Nebuchadnezzar, who was one of the lions in the lives of these three men. And they learned what it meant to be a lion tamer in terms of having great influence for God with the influencers of the world of that day. 
And I don't want us to miss in the context about halfway through our series, uh, I don't want us to miss the fact that um, we all have lions in our lives. We all have people who are in our lives who are people of influence. Now, it probably isn't a king or a president or you know, maybe not even something of that great importance, but you probably have someone in your life who's a lion of sorts who is asking you to, to bow down and to cave into something that is not of God. And perhaps the lion in your life is somebody in your home or in your neighborhood or perhaps in your school or in your place of business. And they're, they're trying to convince you to do something that goes in the opposite direction of what God would do. These are the lines we're talking about. And I've got to tell you that I believe that there's a day coming in our society, in the times that we're living, where we all are going to have to stand up to a lion. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that may be, but I... I suspect because the things of God have been so ripped apart in our culture and so quickly ripped apart in our culture that there's going to be a day when all of us are going to have to stand strong. And today we're going to be looking at three men who learned early in their lives to have integrity in their life and they, they learned that becoming a lion tamer really begins when we take a look at our own hearts and make sure that we're consistent with what we believe that our actions and our attitudes are consistent with what we believe. And last week we learned that becoming a lion tamer means that we speak truth to the lion even if it's something that they don't want to hear. And today what we're going to learn and what we're going to be taking a look at from the lives of these three friends of Daniel is, is that our faith is really fully forged and, and really effective when we courageously stand for God regardless of the outcome. And I think the important part in that statement is the last part. Because I think most of us who are gathered here today, who call ourselves Christ followers, we would agree with that statement. That our, our faith is forged and it's made effective and made, made useful when we, we stand and courageously stand for God. But it's that last part that really matters in the context of the story we're going to read about and learn today. Even if... There's no guarantee that God will come through. Now, Daniel and his friends, yes, they've developed integrity in their lives. They, they were there in Jerusalem before they were taken out of their hometown and taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. They were in their hometown of Jerusalem, and they learned from a young king, Josiah, what it means to stand up for God. And so the three men that you're going to be hearing about today and that we're going to be reading about today really learned this from King Josiah. And then they saw Daniel, they witnessed Daniel standing up and teaching them how to stand. And so they're faced with this great uh, uh, trial and tribulation that they're going through, and it really results from what happened at the end of chapter 2. Uh, some of you may remember that at the end of chapter 2, Daniel interprets this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has. And I mean, this guy had terribly um, horrific, terrifying dreams, and uh, Daniel interpreted them, and in this case, not only did he interpret the dream, but he was able to tell King Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was before King Nebuchadnezzar even had the chance of giving him a hint of what it was. And so this was a man of God, David, who really was listening to the heart of God and what he wanted to do. And he had to tell the king that his dream of this uh, great statue that was made out of all these precious metals represented in part King Nebuchadnezzar and that he would come to his own ruin. 
And so with this thought in mind in chapter 3, we see at the beginning that King Nebuchadnezzar, for whatever reason, probably because he was insane, began to build something that looked like the dream that he had in chapter 2. And he builds this great idol knowing that this great idol represented his ruin. He went ahead and built something of that in, in, uh, in, you know, regardless of what happened there. And, and we see him declaring to the whole world that it was their job to bow down to this idol that he had created. And at the end of chapter 2, one of the things that Daniel does after he interprets the dream is he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, remember my friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and would you promote them in your court? And so the king promoted these men, and I would imagine that based on what they're about ready to go through, if you and I were going through it, we'd probably be like, boy, I wish I hadn't received that promotion. Because all of a sudden, the spotlight shifts from Daniel to these three men. And they're faced with a terrible, terrible thing that they have to do, and that is, is make the decision to stand up for God or to bow to an idol. And it begins when the king commanded Daniel and his friends to bow down to the idol that he created for his pleasure. I want you to take a look at verse 6 and, and 11, which are sim similar verses, almost the same. Here's the edict, or here's the decree. Whoever does not fall down and worship this idol shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And in verse 11, it, it's declared almost the same thing. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, it's interesting what takes place here kind of in the next scene of this story. It's just fantastic because what we find is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been promoted. And all of a sudden, they're forced to do what the king says as well. But they're choosing not to bow down to this idol that the king stood up for himself. They're choosing not to bow down because in bowing down to the idol, they're essentially giving in to everything that's not of God. And these were men of integrity. These were leaders of integrity who wanted to have great influence, and they chose and they made the decision that they wouldn't bow down. But the king hears about these three men from people who missed out on the promotion that these three men got. See, what happens in life, and some of you have probably experienced this, that you might have gotten a promotion and someone else missed out, and all of a sudden, those people who missed out on the promotion that you got, you know what they become? Haters. Am I right? <laughs> they become haters. And maybe you've been the one that's gotten the promotion, or perhaps you've been the one that was the hater. I think by the end of the story, you'll probably not want to be the hater anymore. But all of a sudden, there's this group of people that go to the king... And essentially, they become the rat. I can't put it any other way. They rat on these three men who are not bowing down to the idol. And they go to the king and they say, Oh, great and mighty king, there are three men that are in your court that aren't bowing down. And all of a sudden, the king becomes enraged, which we see this common denominator of this king always becoming angry, all the time angry. And all of a sudden, in verse 15, here's what the king says. To Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, proving that there were Scottish people in the Old Testament. Just kidding. 
and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. So if you bow down, everything's going to be fine. Young men, if you would just bow down to this idol I've created, if you would do the thing that I said to do that I know goes against everything that you stand for, everything that you represent, all will be good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And he ends by asking this question, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who's the God that will deliver you from my anger and my retribution and my threats that I will make sure that their promise is not just a threat? Who is going to deliver you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And we're going to take a look at their answer in verses 16, 17, and 18 in a minute. But before we do that, I wonder why in the world this is so important for this king. I wonder why in a period of time when King Nebuchadnezzar had everything at his disposal, all the riches of the world, he was the most powerful king of the most powerful nation of that time, he had everything at his disposal. Why did he want these three men to bow down to this idol? And I think that we see the answer to that in those men who went to the king in the first place to tell him about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down in verse 12. You see, I think the king wanted Daniel's friends to bow down to his idol because he wanted their attention. Look at verse 12. 12 of chapter 3. There are certain Jews who, uh, whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they say these next three words with me. They pay no attention. They pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, I think we find the answer to that question of why in the world would he have wanted to do this in the first place. In those three words, they pay no attention. See, this lion wanted these three pure, righteous, godly men's attention. Not because he wanted them to bow down to an idol. The idol was a representation of who he was the idol was a representation of everything that God was not. But he wanted their attention. For the king, it really wasn't about the idol. This was more about him. He wanted them to worship him. But I think the story is even a little bit you know, deeper than that. You see, lions really want us to bow down to get our attention, to take our hearts. See, this king didn't care about them bowing down necessarily. But in them making the gesture of bowing down to his idol, he knew that he would get their heart. And you and I, um, we bow down to idols when something or someone else in our lives gets more attention than, than God gets. It's more of us than God gets. And I think this happens in a lot of different ways. You see, the lion sometimes is not a person. Sometimes the lion is a thing. Like college football yesterday, right here. I admit it. Like sports in general. 
Like our kids' sports and being obsessed with our kids' sports. Like that friendship that you, you are, are obsessing about and absolutely pouring your whole life into so much that you're a God follower, yet it's really caused you to get off track in terms of being focused on God because you're so incredibly focused on this relationship or this promotion or this money or this particular degree. And all of a sudden, we're consumed with something that takes our attention off of God. And all of a sudden, those things are lions in our life. They're idols. And we bow down to them when it causes us to take our attention off of God. And so I wondered recently, man, am am I taking my attention off of God? Am I bowing down to an idol without even realizing it? Because I think this happens subtly in our lives with things that we love that are maybe not of God or even things that maybe are good, not bad for our relationship with God, but take our focus off of God. And the question, I think, the questions that we need to ask is are we bowing down to idols? Where's our mind's attention? Where's our heart's affection? Where is our life's action? I think, the answer to those three questions really is going to reveal who's got our attention. You know, it's been said in the church and said in Scripture that our God is a jealous God. And when I say that, some of you are like, man, that does not sound good. That sounds self-serving. It sounds like God's selfish. But God is a jealous God. He wants our attention. He wants our affection. He wants our actions to be consistent with him because he wants our best. He has our best in mind. That's why he wants our attention. That's why he doesn't want our attention going to the idols in our lives or small gods in our life because he has our best in mind. When I was six years old, I went outside and I had a baseball bat and um, I I had my first landscaping job because at six years old, I started whacking the shrubbery in front of our house and I got in big trouble. And I remember my dad coming out and he was really angry and he was really mad that for some reason, hey, I wasn't the sharpest crayon in the drawer. Uh, I was just out there beating up some shrubbery in front of my house, like all six-year-old boys do, right? So anyway, so he comes out, and he's pretty angry, and the first thing I do is I run away from him, and I start running across the street, and you know what he does in a moment? He says, stop, Todd. He got my attention because he was fearful that I was going to run out in the middle of traffic because in that moment, his anger switched to love. Because he saw danger. He saw me doing something that wasn't good for me. And that's why it's good that our God is jealous for our attention. That's why he doesn't want Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down to this idol. That's why he wants the focus to be on him because he's a jealous God. When we bow down to idols, it means that we're bowing to something that gets our attention and our focus off of God. Now back to these three men's response. To the king. The king says, who, what God is going to save you from me? In verse 15, check out what happens in verses 16, 17, and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and they said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That's an awesome response, isn't it? Like, get out of our way. We have no need to even respond to you. 
This is even worth the discussion. We don't have to bow down to this idol because we serve the one true God. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you choose to throw us into the fiery furnace because we're not willing to bow down to your idol, to give our attention to you, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand O king and if this story were to end right there it would be a great story am I right I mean it's one of the most dramatic parts this and what we're going to be taking a look at next week it Daniel in the lion's den this this would be a great story if it ended there Three men who stood up for God, they chose not to bow down to the king's idols. They remained pure, they remained righteous, they remained godly men. What a great story, and what a great thing for us to follow. But oh, it gets so much better in the very next verse. It gets so much better in the next verse. Check out what, he, what they say. They say to the king, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And if you're wondering what they're saying there, is they're saying God will deliver us, we believe that he can deliver us, and we believe that he will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to compromise. We still are going to stand for our God and now bow down to your idol. And in that moment, before they even faced the fiery furnace, they understood the principle of bowing down or standing up. You see, when you and I bow down to something, we make ourselves small. Literally, we make ourselves small. But figuratively and spiritually, we make ourselves small. But when we stand up for God... We make ourselves count for him. We make ourselves count for him. We make ourselves unimportant when we bow down to, to the things that, that uh, are not honoring and glorifying to him and aren't part of what it means to be a God follower, to be a Jesus follower. But when we stand up for God and when we stand up for his values, when we stand up for his ways, we make ourselves count. We make our lives count, and we make ourselves count for the kingdom of God. Imagine if you and I had that but-if type of faith. Imagine if we chose to stand up for God regardless of the circumstances, because I'm going to be really honest with you for a moment. It's pretty easy for me to get up here on a Sunday morning in church, where most of you came in today Believing there's a God. And most of you came in believing that Jesus is his son and died for our sins. It's pretty easy for me to stand up and to make that claim when most of you would stand strong with me. When it really gets hard is when you're the only one standing. Where it really gets hard is, is when you realize that if you stand up that you'll be ridiculed, that you'll be mocked that you'll lose that great opportunity for you, that you realize that this is not going to help a new career path or help you financially or help you in terms of your influence in your community politically, but you're going to make a stand 
for God anyway. That's what these three men did. They stood up when everybody else around them was bowing down. They did the hard thing. They did the difficult thing. And they did it in the face of their haters. You see, these men refused to compromise. And because of that, the king's heart was changed. There's so many things about the story that's great. It's, it's awesome that we see that God did come through in their circumstance. Perhaps he will in your circumstance as well. Perhaps he will when you stand. But these three men said that even if he doesn't, we're going to stand anyway. And because of their actions, because of their willingness to make that stand, even when they knew that God may or may not come through, because of that action, because of their refusal to compromise, the king's heart was changed. Check this out, Daniel 3, 26 through 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Notice before he used little g, which God is going to save you. He wasn't talking about the one true God. Now he changes his story. He declares, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. He notices them in the fiery furnace, this furnace that had been heated to well beyond where it should have been heated, and they are bound up, probably by their hands and their legs and their torso, and they're thrown in, and the king looks in, and he sees them walking around, not being burned at all. And he says, come here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And then in verse 27, we read about the fact that all of these that squealed on these three men, as they threw them into the fire, they were burned up. Don't be the rat, all right? That's the lesson there. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I think it is something to note that when we are people who try to do something to go against what God is doing, um, we're going to get burned. There's so much incredible irony in that story that those were the men who ended up getting burned and the ones that were thrown into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were saved by God. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angels and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, the very king that made the command, that made the threat. And fulfilled the promise. He says, anyone in verse 29, therefore I make a decree, any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. I mean, this was kind of in his nature to like say something like that. He was an extreme type of guy. But in the end, because of the faithful obedience of these three men, the king's heart was changed for the one true God. And you may be in a situation right now, maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in school students. It may be for some of you who are in college or ready to go to college that someone in your life, a lion in your life or something in your life is trying and trying hard to press upon you to bow down to the small things that will get your focus and your attention off of God. I don't know about you, but my hope and my prayers is that I would have the type of faith, the but 
if God doesn't type of faith that these three men had to stand up for God, regardless of what happens in that circumstance. Sometimes when you make that stand, it's going to be controversial. (laughs) But our uncompromising attitudes and actions can lead even the most stubborn lion, even the most stubborn leader, even the most stubborn professor or friend or, yeah, even husband and wife or son or daughter to have a heart change. You know, we don't always have to be right about everything. But when we're asked to bow, and when we're given the opportunity to bow or to stand, our responsibility as Christ followers is to stand. Years ago, um, Cynthia and I, when we got married, we're 22 years this summer, when we got married, uh, one of the very first gifts that we got as a wedding present was a crock pot. Any of you who are married get crock pots as a wedding gift? Raise your hand. Yeah, all right. Pretty common thing back then. And uh, we, were, uh, we had just gotten married, and um, we, were, we didn't have any money. And, but on Sunday, we would get up early, and we would put a roast sometimes in that crock pot. And I don't know, the thing probably cost $5, but that was a huge $5 to us back then. And we would get vegetables, and we'd throw it in there, a little uh, you know, canned mushroom, pour it in there, and salt and pepper. Are you getting hungry yet? Uh, and we would put it in there, and we'd put the crock pot on, on medium. And I remember one morning, one Sunday morning, Cynthia was getting ready. She worked at, at a church, and I didn't. I wasn't in church ministry yet. And um, I, it was my responsibility to get the crock pot going. So I, I opened up that, that roast, and, and I put it in there, and the carrots and the potatoes and um, the, the cream mushroom sauce and a little salt and pepper, a little extra salt. And uh, anyway, and so I turned it on medium and left the house. But there's one thing I forgot to do. I forgot to plug it in. So we came home to a roast that was still cold and to carrots that were not edible and to potatoes that did not taste good at all. And what was meant to become one thing had not become that thing because it had not been through the fire. It had not been in the heat. I had forgotten to plug it in. We went to McDonald's instead, I'm sure. And I wonder right now if you're facing the heat of some kind, if you're facing a fire, if you're facing something that you know that you have a choice to give in to or to stand up for. And my prayer and my hope is that our faith will be forged and made effective in those moments and even before those moments when we're thrown into the fire. See, our faith is not going to be resilient. It's not going to be what it should be and what it can be and all that God has for it without going through a little bit of heat and a little bit of fire. Church, I hope Hilton Head Island Community Church is known for people who would make the stand when given the choice to stand. Father God, I thank you so much for this great example of these three young men who set such a great example for us on what it means to have integrity. They never flaunted it. They they never, they never rubbed anything in the face of any of these leaders. They simply did what you told them to do. And in the moment when they had a choice to stand for you or bow to an idol, they chose to stand. 
And God, right now, I pray that you would give us the power, the ability, the strength, and the courage to overcome any kind of fear that we might have in our lives right now because of a circumstance in which we know that we need to stand. God, I pray that you would take the fear that we have away because we know that we need to stand up for you. God, I pray that you would take that nervousness or that maybe lack of courage or resolve, and God, that you would take that away, that you would be strong when we're weak, that you would give us courage when we know we don't have it in us. God, I pray for a group of people who, ah, we don't always have to be right about everything, but a group of people who would know and be able to discern when you're asking for us to take a stand. And God, when given the choice, I pray that you would raise up a group of Christians who would stand for you. If you're in here today and uh, you're a Christ follower and just in the privacy of this moment, um, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you'd say, Todd, I, I am heading into or currently in a little bit of a furnace myself in some issue in my home or my school or where I work or my neighborhood or in our community where I know that I need to stand and I'm being asked to bow. There's a lion in my life that's asking me to bow. Maybe it's in the, in the privacy, just in your own life. Maybe the lion is the evil one right now and, and he's desperately vying for your attention to get your eyes off of God. And just in the quietness of this place, if you'd say, Todd, would you just pray for me? Pray that I have courage and that I would overcome the fear that I have that I would have a but if God doesn't come through type of faith. If you need that right now, if you just want me to pray for you, just raise your hand for a moment. Just raise your hand, thanks. Keep them up for a moment. Anyone else? Just say, Todd, just please pray for me. Please pray for me. God, I pray for these who are courageous enough to say, yeah, I've got some things or some kind of situation in my life where I need courage. I need you, God, to overcome the fear. And I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would give them courage, that you would make them brave, God, that you would fill the gaps. And God, that they would follow in the path of these three young men who stood for you when it would have been easier to bow. God, bless them and guide them. You can put your hands down. And now I pray that you would raise up a whole group of people here who would be people who stand when we're asked. Thank you, Father God, for being there for us. And may we be people who follow you even when we're afraid. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.